Well, that was so kind. Thank you so much for those, uh, those kind words. I want to express some gratitude this morning. I feel like it's in order. Um, I want to thank everybody that helps make this possible every week. I think we might not give much thought to it, but, uh, but there's quite a, a bit of effort that goes into putting on these services. I want to thank Willie and Tyler, Don and Judy and Ronnie and Sherry for all their setup. I thank Misty for helping out with the podcast every week and, and uploading the, uh, the videos on Facebook. And, and the deacons have done a marvelous job. I just want to brag on your deacons. Um, I know that uh, it, things are so different right now, and you might not realize that things go on, go on behind the scenes, but they do. And your deacons have worked tirelessly throughout this pandemic to make sure that, uh, that your safety is ensured and to make sure that we can make these services possible and to do uh, what's best for the entire community. So I just want to say a thank you to, to each one of you and to those who are helping with Sunday school. And um, I know it's different, but, but we're uh, making the best of, uh, of the situation. But I, I also want to give a great, I owe a great debt of gratitude to God Almighty. Uh, today is just a, a gorgeous day. And I was talking with uh, with Willie and Richard and some others. Um, how many times have, uh, have Bobby Wright and I stood in the, in the foyer of the sanctuary on a rainy Sunday morning and, and talked about how the Lord was causing it to rain so people wouldn't be fishing on Sunday? And here we've been, what, three, four months now, uh, and we haven't been rained out yet. And, and I know it could rain next week, so I'm not counting my chickens before they hatch, but I think that we ought to give God the glory, because I believe that's a supernatural thing. I just praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Well, I've been preaching to you from the book of Romans, and we will get back to that, but I'd, I'd like for you to turn to Genesis 15 this morning, because we're going to look at a story that the Apostle Paul himself is going to refer to in the book of Romans. It's actually a, kind of the foundation for his preaching uh, on justification by faith. And so I'm going to have to uh, be mindful of, of my time here because it feels so good. I could just preach for a couple of hours and, and I know you, you don't want me to preach that long. So uh, I'm just going to have to use some restraint. But, uh, but I do just thank you so much. We're in Genesis 15. And thank you. You know, I didn't thank everyone who's just participated in the services. Without you here, there is no worship gathering. So thank you for continuing to gather uh, and there's something about when God's people gather together. Genesis 15, verse 1, the Bible says this, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels, or from thine own body, shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? 
And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephiams and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Gergesites and the Jebusites. I want to draw your attention again to verse 6. And it says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the gift of faith. I thank you for the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is, it is and has always been by grace through faith. And we are thankful for that amazing grace. It has been grace from the beginning. It is grace now and it will be grace forevermore. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. I ask for your anointing to help preach your word in the name of Yeshua, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Now, Genesis is a book of beginnings, and so uh, it is fascinating to me to see uh, the first mention of certain things. The first verse has the first mention in the Word of God where it says, The Word of the Lord came unto Abram. That is the first mention of this phrase, the Word of the Lord coming to Abram. Now, Abram, he didn't have a Bible, and I may refer to him as Abraham also, uh, so if I use those terms interchangeably, please forgive me. Uh, it's just a force of habit. And by the way, he is Abraham, so there's no, uh, there's no contradiction there. But Abram had no, he, he didn't even have an Old Testament. Uh, he didn't have any Bible to refer to. All he had was his relationship with God based on faith and believing his word. The Lord had appeared to him, and we read in Genesis 12, you don't have to turn there, but that's the first time that it mentions where God had said unto Abram, Get out from among your people and leave Ur, Ur of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia and go into this place where afterward I will show you uh, where this is going to be your inheritance. And God, it says, after, after these things, and, and you might ask yourself, well, what, is these, what are these things? Well, in chapter 14, there's this really, it is the first war in the Bible. It's the first mention that there's this battle of the kings. Four kings go to war against five kings. And, and I'll get into this in subsequent weeks, maybe on Wednesday night. We're going to look more at the story of Abraham, so I won't get too, too in-depth about it. But, but nevertheless, there's this guy named uh, King. He's Kederleomer, and he, uh, he had subjected these five kingdoms. And in the 13th year, 
uh, of him ruling over them, they rebelled. And in the 14th year, Kederleomer and some other kings went to battle uh, against the five kings. And they, uh, to make a long story short, they spoiled them and they, they, they kidnapped Abram's nephew, Lot. And, uh, and Abram had 318 men uh, in his household that he armed and went to war. We don't often think of Abram as a man of war, but God actually uh, used him to, to win a battle. And so uh, Abram won the battle because of God, of course. It was God that had blessed him and given him the victory. And, uh, and he rescues Lot. And the king of Sodom offered Abram a reward. He offered him to keep the spoils of the war. And Abram said, no, I will not take anything from you because I don't want you to say that you made me rich. He had sworn to the Lord that he wouldn't take any of the bounty uh, or the booty of the, of the war. He, he said that he would, uh, he would not take that. And so he held true to his word. Then he meets this mysterious figure known as Melchizedek. We'll talk more about him later. But anyway, he meets Melchizedek. Melchizedek blessed him and tells him that God has given him the victory. And Abram paid tithe of the tenth of the spoils unto Melchizedek, this priest of God. And now we come to chapter 15. And the word of God comes to Abram in a vision. And then he says, fear not. This is the first time in the Bible that God uses this phrase, do not be afraid. Fear not. He would say it some 360 times after that. Literally one for every day uh, of the week. And God's message to you and I is the same as it was to Abram that day. Don't be afraid. Whatever you're facing in your life, God says, don't be afraid. He says, I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Paul told Timothy, he says, don't be afraid. God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. John says, fear, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. He said, perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. God has not given us the spirit of fear. God's word to you and I is, be, do not be afraid. Now, why would Abram possibly be, why would God tell him not to be afraid? Well, because he was battling fear. And God knows that you and I face fears. Sometimes they're irrational fears, and sometimes they're legitimate fears. Perhaps Abram feared that there would be retribution uh, from either from the king of Sodom because he failed to accept his, uh, his offer or perhaps from those four, uh, those four kings that Abram had whipped uh, that might be, maybe they might come for a rematch because, you know, in the Eastern culture, honor and shame was a big deal. And so this was a very uh, present reality for Abram. But God says two things to him. He says, number one, he says, I'm your shield. He's letting Abram know the reason that he was able to defeat those, those kings in the first place is because God was with them. Do you know every battle that Israel ever won was not because they were military geniuses. It was because God was with them. How many times did God say to the people, the children of Israel, the battle is not yours, the battle belongs to the Lord. God would send the children of Israel out to battle and he would not send them out to battle with spears and swords. He'd send them out with a trumpet. You see, that's why what Brother Ronnie and Sister Sherry do here on Sunday mornings is so important. They're leading us into battle. You see, there's, there's victory that's won in praise. We, we win by praise. Uh, in the Psalms, it says that, that by, thou hast perfected praise. Out of the mouth of babes, you hast ordained strength. Literally, the, the power of God is, is, uh, is manifested when we praise the Lord. 
The battle is not ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. So whatever you're facing right now, you need to remember that the Lord is your shield. I don't care how many people are against you. The Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? One man in God is a majority. And you praise the Lord and watch the chains fall away. But he also said, I am your exceeding great reward. Now, uh, there's two ways of looking at this. Uh, you can look at it that God says, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to bless you. But I prefer to look at it in this sense, that God himself is the reward. If you've got God, you've got everything. There's something interesting that Paul said to the Corinthians, and I, won't, I really want to unpack it, but I can't for, for sake of time. But Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, all things are yours. In Jesus Christ, everything belongs to you and I. That's why we don't have to be jealous of one another. That's why we don't have to covet what anyone else has. Because in Christ Jesus, everything belongs to us. Because we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And maybe, maybe Abram was uh, feeling some regret over refusing the... the uh, the reward from the king of Sodom. We don't know. But in, in any case, God tells him, he reassures him, Abram, I am your God, I am your shield, and I am your great reward. Now, Abram's response is really interesting to me. Abram said, Lord God, in the Hebrew, Adonai Jehovah. Adonai Jehovah. What will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? So it's kind of comical here that Abraham's, Abraham's kind of poking. You know, he's saying, well, God, you're telling me you're my shield and you're my great reward. But the one thing that I want more than anything, you won't give it to me. This is the thing that Abram desired. See, Abram was rich. You can read about that in pre previous chapters that, uh, that Abram was a very, he was an extremely wealthy man. And uh, he, he had great possessions. But, you know, all of that didn't make him happy. And I'm going to tell you this, all the stuff in the world won't make you happy if you don't have God in your life. Now, it's okay to have stuff if you've got God. Uh, money's not evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. But I'm going to tell you this, if you've got the Lord in your life, you've got everything. If you, if you have Jesus Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're rich. Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And Abram said, God, you're telling me that you're... Back in chapter 12, God had promised him. He said, if you can count... He said, look down on the ground. He said, if you can count the dust in the earth, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And he's going to tell him to look in the stars here in just a minute. But he's like, God, you know, you've given me this promise that I'm going to be the father of many nations, and you're going to bless those that bless me, and you're going to curse those that curse me. But, here to, but up until now, I've not seen, uh, seen the, the, the reality of this. And he says, this Eliezer of Damascus is my heir. It's interesting to me that he didn't say Lot was his heir. Lot was his family. Lot was his, his nephew. But he said that Eliezer was, uh, was, was going to be his heir. And that was a culture, that was part of the culture of the day that you could adopt uh, a slave or a servant and they could be your, your legal heir. But notice God's response to him. He says in verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came. Well, in verse 3, Abraham keeps on poking. <laughs> he says, but God, you have not given me any seed. And lo, one born in my house is my heir. So, so Abram is saying, God, I know you could do this for me. Why won't you do it? Now, be honest. You don't have to blow your horn. But have you ever felt that way? Have you ever thought to yourself, God, this is not a big deal for you. <laughs> 
This, is, this would be real easy, God, for you to just move this mountain for me. This would be real easy for you, God, just to take this out of my way so that I don't have to pray about this anymore. And God did notice God does not, uh, he doesn't chide Abraham for, for being honest with him. You can get real with God. As a matter of fact, you need to get real with him because God knows everything anyway. He already knows what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And so Abraham, he just gets real with God. He says, God, there's something I want more than anything and you won't give it to me. And God says in verse four, he says this, he doesn't call Eliezer by name. He says, this shall not be your heir, but the one that's going to come out of your own body, the one from your own loins, this one is going to be your heir. And then God gives Abram another visual. Before he had told him to look and count the sand, and, and if you could count the number of grains of sand, uh, that, and, and here he's going to tell him to go out and look. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of looking at a, at a night sky without light pollution. Now, out here in Peachland, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. Some folks that live in the city, they don't, they don't know what it is to look out on a beautiful, clear, starry night and to see all these stars. And I can just imagine uh, God takes Abram out here, and, and I, can, I can just imagine this a beautiful big sky like Montana. And he's looking up there, and God says, if you can count the stars, he says, so shall your seed be. Now, the point is that you can't count them. They're innumerable. You know, have you ever tried to sit... And, uh, and count the stars, and after a while you just give up because you can't count them. There's, they're in, and that's the point. They're innumerable. And he says, so shall your seed be. Now to a man that's over 75 years old, uh, this seems like a, a rather illogical promise that God has made, an irrational thing to believe, doesn't it? It seems too good to believe. seems to be too good to believe. You know, that's the problem that people have with the gospel is they say it sounds too good to be true. What do you mean I don't have to earn it? You see, that's what the, that, that, there's two kinds of religion in the world. They, they, they go by many different names, but there's only two kinds of religion in the world. There's grace and then there's works. And, and, and everything other than Jesus Christ falls into that works category. And people are, uh, they say, well, this can't be, this is just seems too good to be true. I just can't believe that all I have to do is, is just believe in the Lord. And yet that's what God is asking you and me to do. Is to believe in the Lord. And that's what Abram did in verse 6. It says that he believed in the Lord. Now in the Hebrew, it's only two words. This phrase that he believed in the Lord. It's only two words. And you know what those two words in Hebrew are? Amen Yahweh. <laughs> Abram, when God says to Abram, your children are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abram said, Amen Yahweh. Amen. You know, that's what we need to say to God. Instead of doubting his promises, Abram, he didn't have a Bible to look at. He couldn't rehearse the promises of God like we can. You and I have the access to the word of God. When we are facing fear and doubt and unbelief, we need to immerse ourselves in the word of God. We need to feed our faith and starve our doubts. We need to feed our faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he believed in the Lord. We need to read God's word. And instead of questioning it, we need to say, God, you said it, that settles it. Amen. Amen, Jehovah. Amen, Yahweh. And God counted it to him for righteousness. Now, that does not mean that God pretended that Abraham was righteous. It didn't mean that God looked the other way. It meant that God actually credited the righteousness of God to Abraham's account. And that's what Paul has been getting at in the book of Romans, is that when you and I 
trust in the Lord and we believe what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary's cross, that God takes the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and he, to use a theological term, he reckons or he imputes that to us. There's a several imputations in the Bible. Jesus had our sin imputed onto him. And then in turn, Jesus imputes his righteousness to us. God does that in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, folks, you won't find a sweeter deal in the universe. You trade in your filthy rags and God gives you perfect righteousness. I'll take that deal every day. Every day. That's the best thing going. That's the best deal going. And you need to take advantage of it while you still can. Time's running out. Time is running out. And the Lord says in verse 7, The Lord said unto him, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you the land. Now he's been talking about the seed, the son, and the children of Abraham. Now he's going to talk about the land. And I want you to pay careful attention because this is very relevant to us today. Everybody thinks they know what Israel ought to do. But I'm going to tell you what. When people start messing with Israel, they're poking their finger in the eye of God. That is, Israel is the apple of God's eye. I truly believe the only reason that God has not leveled America... You listen to me closely. It's because we are still an ally to Israel. He made a promise to Abram in Genesis 12. He said, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. You better pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We, better, we need to pray for our president. We need to pray for whoever's going to be the president in November, that they are a friend of Israel, because as, as Israel goes, so goes the world. God will bless those that bless Israel, and he will curse those that curse Israel. Mark it down. People try to play around and make deals and treaties. But you're going to see in a moment that God has promised him that land and he does not go back on his word. He's talking about the seed. Now he's going to talk about the land. And notice he says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees. You know, that's the same thing that God said to, to the children of Israel when he was making a covenant with them on Mount Sinai. Remember when the mountain was burning with fire? I'm about to shout here. I'm getting excited. God said, I am the Lord that brought you out of Egyptian bondage. He's reminding Abram of who he is. He said, I'm the God that appeared to you, that took you out of idolatry when you were in Mesopotamia. That word Mesopotamia means between the rivers the Tigris and the Euphrates. He said, I called you out of Mesopotamia and I called you to be my own and I'm going to give you an inheritance. He said, remember, I'm that same God and we're about to make a covenant. We're about to make a covenant. Help me, Lord, not get too overheated up here and start running and shouting. I'm trying to use restraint. It's a good thing I'm sitting in a chair or I'd have to take a victory lap around the church this morning. All right. He says in verse 8, he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? You know, God, give me a sign. You say, well, Abram's, he shouldn't be wavering at the promise of God through unbelief. Well, let me tell you something. What if God told you that your land, that you were about to possess land that was inhabited by 10 other nations? <laughs> There's 10 other nations that are living in the promised land. All those ites, the Jebusites and the Gergesites and the termites and the, uh, you know. There's people there. And Abram said, I need some assurances here. Uh, that I'm going to be able to inherit this land. And now we get to the good stuff. Oh, my goodness. And God says to him, he says, take a heifer three years old, a goat three years old, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. There was five. There was five animals. And, and Abram knows exactly what God is doing. God is about to make a covenant with Abram. And this is how they made covenants in the ancient world. See, now we, make, we sign contracts. And if any of you have bought a car 
in recent years, you know uh, it's easier to buy a house than it is to buy a car. You sign about 30 pieces of paper before you can get out of there uh, with your automobile. They didn't do that in the ancient world. They made covenants. They made covenants with one another, and, and often they were blood covenants. Sometimes there was a shoe covenant. Uh, sometimes there's a sand covenant. Sometimes they would rub sand uh, or drop dust over their head or something. But, but anyway, th this was a blood covenant. And God was letting Abram know that the covenant that he was making, this is a blood covenant. There's going to be sacrifice involved. And it says in verse 10, He took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. Now, you, now if God had told you and me, if he had told you and I to take these five animals, we might not have known what to do with them. But Abram knew exactly what was about to happen. He knew what was going to go down. He knew that God was going to make a covenant. And so he kills these animals, and he divides them in the midst, and he places them. He separates them apart. He, he sets them, uh, and, and there's, a, there's a, a line where they can walk through. Now, in, the old, in, in olden days, when two people made a covenant, a blood covenant, what they would do is they would walk in a figure eight among the sacrifice. They would walk in between the, uh, the carcasses of those dead animals, and they would outline the conditions of the covenant as they were going through that. And what Abram fully expected was that God was going to come down and that the two of them were going to walk through those animals together. That's what Abram expected was going to happen, and that they were going to state the terms of the covenant and that the covenant would be sealed. So Abram has killed the sacrifice. He spread them out. And he's expecting God to show up any moment now. And that the two of them are going to walk together uh, through these animals and seal the covenant. But it says in verse 11 that the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses. Now this was an ominous sign. And God is going to tell Abram that there's going to be an ominous thing that's going to be along with the promise. That they're going to be in Egyptian bondage for 400 years. And so here is an ominous sign and God, excuse me, and Abram has to drive away the fowls of the air. He drove them away. Now, apparently a whole day uh, has transpired here. A whole day and now it's nightfall. It says the sun was going down. And a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. I'm going to tell you what, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. We often boast of how we'd like God to show up and show out, but if God were to show up and show out, we would be coming apart. You know, our knees would be wobbling, and we'd be on the ground begging for mercy. And notice he says unto Abram, he says, Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them and shall afflict them 400 years. Now, it's interesting that before God starts out, gives the good stuff, he starts out with the ominous thing. You know, there's some things in life you and I are going to have to go through. And that does not mean that God has abandoned us. It doesn't mean that, uh, that we're in, in sin or that we have been disobedient. But the children of Israel, we're going to have to go through bondage. And they're going to be afflicted for 400 years. And then in verse 14, he says, That nation whom they shall serve, I'm going to judge. Remember what he's promised him. He said, I'm going to bless those that bless you, and I'm going to curse those that curse you. And so Egypt was going to be plagued because of the way they had treated Israel. They were going to, uh, to, to be um, afflicted. God knows the end from the beginning. You know, you and I, we're, we're just living one day at a time, and we're worried about what tomorrow is going to hold. And listen, God already knows what's going to happen 400 years from now. He knows what's going to happen a million years from now. And that's why we don't need to be moved by our afflictions, because God... 
has everything under control. And so now, he says in verse 15, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And God held true to that promise. After Isaac was born, he lived another 100 years. And so God allowed Abraham to enjoy Isaac uh, for 100 years, allowed him to enjoy this promise. But God's promise went way beyond just Isaac. God's promise to Abram involved you and me. You know why you ought to care? Some of you say, well, why should I even care about this, this Old Testament promise? Because this promise that God made to Abram is the reason you're in this parking lot this morning. Now think about that for a moment. The promise that God made to Abram is the reason you and I are here. We are all children of Abraham by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Abram was going to give, he was going, through his lineage, was going to give birth to the Messiah through which we would be saved. And so it is very relevant for us today. He said, you're going to go to your fathers in peace. Uh, in verse 16, he says, but in the fourth generation, they shall come here there again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now, this is an interesting statement here. And by the way, this argues against a, a generation being 40 years. Uh, people say, well, a generation is 40 years. Well, here in Genesis 15, a generation was 100 years because he said uh, it'd be four generations. And remember, he said four, it'd be 400 years. Now, am I saying 100 years is a generation? No, I'm saying that the Bible doesn't always say. He doesn't always say a generation is 40 or 100. So it would be fool, it's foolish for us to try to narrowly define things is all I'm saying. But anyway, uh, but he said... He says, the, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God allows the cup. God is very gracious and merciful. That's the reason Jesus Christ has not returned yet. Peter says that the Lord is long-suffering toward us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the only reason why Jesus Christ has not come back yet, is because there's still one more soul that needs to be saved. There's still one more soul. You know, somebody wrote a book years ago, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Come Back in 1988. And I'm so glad he didn't because I wasn't saved. I would have been left behind. And I know we are earnestly praying and believing for Jesus Christ to return. But I've still got some people I, that I want to see come to Jesus Christ. Some people I want to see saved. I, I've still got some folks that are not living right that I want to see them uh, living right so that they don't, they're not ashamed before him at his coming. And God knew the Amorites were not going to repent. It, doesn't that show the gracious nature of God? We, talk, we sang about that amazing grace. God knew that the Amorites were not going to repent, and yet he still gave them 400 years to do so. God is a loving God. It says in the first, excuse me, in verse 17, and it came to pass when the sun went down, it was completely dark. It was completely dark. That behold, a smoking furnace. Can I tell you this? When it gets completely dark in your life, that's when God will shine the brightest. God will appear. Now, what did Abram expect? Abram expected that God was going to show up and the two of them were going to walk through those animals together and make a covenant. But God said, no, Abram, you're going to sit this one out. You're going to sit this one out, buddy. You're not going to contribute anything to this covenant. This is what we call a unilateral covenant. The book of Hebrews would say it this way. Because God could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And it says it came to pass. I love this verse that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. God himself went between the pieces. Abram didn't go with him. This was an unconditional covenant. It didn't depend on Abram's obedience. It didn't depend on the obedience of Abram's descendants. This was God alone saying, I am going to do this for you. 
And when God did this in verse 18, it says, In the same day, the Lord, Yahweh, by the way, any, anytime you see Lord in all capital letters, that is the covenant name of God. Uh, in, in English, it's only four consonants. It's, uh, it's Y-H-J-H. There's no way to accurately, or V-H rather, there's no way to accurately translate Yahweh or Jehovah, but it is his covenant name. His covenant-keeping name. And it says, in the same day, Yahweh, Jehovah, made a covenant. The word for covenant in the Hebrew is bereath. And it literally means cutting. You've heard the expression, cut covenant. We're going to cut covenant. And that's what God did, is he cut covenant with Abram. Now, let me tell you what Abram was saying. He says, under your seed, I have given this land from the river of Egypt. And that's not the Nile, by the way. Because if it were the Nile, then they would have already been in the promised land uh, when they were in Egypt. This is not the Nile. This is the Nile Delta. This is on the eastern region. That bell is telling me my time is drawing nigh. So let's, let's keep going, though. This was the eastern part of the, of the Nile Delta unto the great river Euphrates. Do you know that uh, to this day, Israel has never occupied fully all of the land that God promised Abram? Not yet. And I don't believe they will until Jesus Christ returns. And in the millennium, they're going to experience that promise. And he says, the Kenites, the, the Kenizzites, the Kedmont, all the ites, there's 10 nations there. And interestingly enough, I'm going to tease your appetite, whet your appetite here. This nation that, that in verse 20, the Rephiams, that word Rephiam in the Hebrew is also translated giant. These were the, gi these, these were the giants. This is where the giants, the, the descendants of the giants. And so I'll just kind of whet your appetite with that. But God made a promise to Abram, and it was a unilateral promise. It was not contingent on anything that Abram or his descendants would do. God took care of the covenant for Abram. And what God was saying to him, don't miss this, please. God, when, God walked through those, when God walked through those animal sacrifices by himself, what he was basically saying was, if I don't keep my promise, Abram, let me die. Let me be as these animals. And we know that won't happen because he's alive forevermore. He is the God who is and was and is to come. The promise that made to Abram is an everlasting covenant. It will never be ratified. It will never be nullified. God's people will inherit the land that God promised to Abram. And so we need to be a friend of Israel. But you and I need to understand also that God made a covenant with us. And he did it not based upon anything we, we would do. We could, this is such a perfect picture of grace. We could not do anything to merit salvation. Just like Abram, we were in a deep sleep, except we were dead in trespasses and sins. There's nothing we could do to contribute to our salvation. And God in his mercy provided the sacrifice. Jesus Christ came as the perfect Passover lamb. He died in our place. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 says, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, And he, God hath made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And the Lord is now saying to you and to, and to me, If you will simply put your faith in the one who came and lived and died in your place and rose again, you too will be justified freely by his grace, by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus' blood. And if you've never experienced that life-changing uh, grace of God today, today is your day. You may be watching this on Facebook or YouTube.
this morning or this afternoon, whenever you may be watching it. I believe the time is short. Jesus Christ is coming again. You're not going to get to heaven based on your good works. You're on your best day, your good works are like filthy rags. You know, God didn't say your sins are like filthy rags. He said your righteousness is like filthy rags. But the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ is sufficient to get you and I from earth to heaven if you will simply trust and believe in him. So call upon his name today. If you're a believer this morning and you're struggling with something, there's, there's problems in your life and you're experiencing doubt and fear, I want to give you those same words that, Abram, that God gave to Abram. Don't be afraid. God says, I'm your shield and I'm your exceeding great reward. The Lord will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Brother Ronnie.